Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. Joined today by my co-host, he makes his triumphant return to the Lynx Golf Podcast to preview another issue. It's something we've done in the past and like to do when we have a new issue. Our winter 2021 issue should be hitting homes. I write about the time I think some people would be listening to this podcast. So if you subscribe to the magazine, tear it open and follow along. Uh, his name is George Pepper. He's the editor of Lynx. And I'm so happy he's back. How you doing, George? Oh, I'm feeling triumphant. Thank you. <laughs> Ready to go. Are you? What has you feeling that way? Well, you just said I was my triumphant returns. I don't know what I've won, but I feel triumphant. Hmm. You've won a great conversation where you can provide valuable insights to the listener. How does that sound? All right, let's go for it. All right. So we are going to cover uh, George's column that he does in every issue. This one is something I think people will connect with fondly and may have experience playing some of these opening shots. That's the subject of the piece. Uh, memorable opening first holes uh, at courses around the world. Um, let's just start there. Let's, let's talk about your inspiration behind this column. I know Gil Hans did his piece on the T uh, for his Architecture 101 piece, and that kind of relates to to where you went with this column. Right. Yeah, well, I figured, you know, Gil had something in mind there with the uh, first issue of the year and the beginning of a golf hole, and I took it a, a step further. I said, well, let's talk about the very first T of a golf course. And I think it's a pretty interesting place, actually, as I said in there, can you think of, of a piece of ground, whether on a golf course or anywhere else, that consistently produces such a, a complex uh, bullion base of emotions? You've got, you got hope, you've got fear and trepidation, you, you've got determination, you've got doubt, you have impatience, but with paranoia. Uh, you know, there's excitement, there's tension. I mean, it, it, every time I step to the first tee, I have two competing desires. I can't wait to hit the first shot and I can't wait to get it over with. So, I mean, there really is this wonderful uh, emotional aspect to the, the first tee, the first shot. And um, it's sort of like what, uh, to paraphrase uh, Forrest Gump, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, there's this kind of carnival atmosphere. We all get this first tee and are yucking it up and having a good time. But at the same time, you have this awful uh, notion that the, the carnival atmospheres could end in seconds when the curtain rises on the dr drama that we all know to be 18 holes of golf. You know, it could be lots of agony, lots of joy. So mind you, this turmoil that we all feel has very little to do with the golf course and it's mostly our own doing because rarely does the uh, first hole on a golf course present a particularly uh, formidable challenge or even uh, a memorable moment. Um, I, I took a look at a book uh, I did with the editors of Golf Magazine what, 20 years ago now uh, called The World's 500 Greatest Golf Holes and make a quick run through those uh, holes and found that of those 500 holes, only 11 of them are opening holes. Uh, so it's, it's fairly rare that you have a, a magnificent architectural specimen uh, on the first tee. And if you take a look at some of the, um, 
most highly revered courses in the world, uh, they have pretty, shall we say, unremarkable first holes. I'm thinking of uh, Pebble Beach, uh, Turnberry, uh, Teeth of the Dog in, uh, in the Dominican Republic, uh, Crooked Stick, Medina Number no. Two, Fisher's Island. Some of my favorite courses start with pretty pedestrian uh, par fours. I think if you ask the designers of those and other courses why it is that way, a lot of them would take uh, refuge in the notion, the long-held architectural dictum that uh, the first hole should present a friendly handshake, sort of a, a straightforward assignment with no heavy lifting. And I can't argue with that. It's, it's probably wise to keep us dogged victims uh, happy for at least the first few moments of play. Nonetheless, as I say, the first holes are, are rarely first rate. Um, I think another reason for that is the first tee is usually hard by the clubhouse on a piece of land that was chosen not because it was necessarily the best terrain for golf, but because it was the best place to put the clubhouse. Uh, often, in fact, uh, the first thing the architect wants to do is to get the heck away from that place and do whatever is necessary to, to flee the clubhouse, the parking lot, the tennis courts, and everything else, and get to some proper terrain for golf. So th all that being said, there are, I think, a few rare courses where the first tee does present us with something uh, special. And I just took a run through those and I divided them into <clears throat> four categories with a few in there and uh, you feel free to add any thoughts of your own. Um, I will, I have written down for each of these categories, I've written an addition that I would make. Oh, good, all yeah. right. So we'll look at my first category, um, nerve wracking. Uh, in that one, I put uh, four courses, Long Cove and uh, Secession near our headquarters in Hiltonet, uh, then, Makarhanish in Scotland, which is often referred to as the best opening hole in the world because, well, you have to hit your uh, tee shot over the Atlantic Ocean. And the last one is the old course in St. Andrews. Well, the first three kind of all come to, together because there is this water that's staring you in the face. And sometimes you haven't uh, hit any practice shots or even taken a swing. And here you have to play this difficult shot. The, the one it's a session really bothers me because it's kind of a cape hole where you bite off as much as you can chew. And I eat, either bite off too much or take a bad bite. And I end up with a six or seven on that hole. The one that's sort of the odd one out is the old course where uh, it's one of the widest targets in the world, the fairway shared with the 18th hole. Uh, the problem with that is that uh, as you stand on that tee, uh, you, you have the terrifying weight of seven centuries of history being played there and, and the absolute conviction that you're being stared at by everyone from the local constable to old Tom Morris. So believe me, every time I've played that course now over 200 times and I'm still terrified every time I tee it up on the first hole. Uh, the second category is what I call fiddly which is a strange word, it, it's a British word that uh, refers to something, kind of a small thing that's challenging or even annoying to handle. And each of the uh, four holes I have in that group, it's five holes, I think, yeah, is fiddly. Uh, beginning with National Golf Links, uh, North Berwick, Prestwick, and Lytham, uh, all in the UK, 
And the last one, and I'm sorry, the national course is on Long Island. And the last one is Victoria uh, in Australia. And um, there are four par fours and a four, par three, all the holes under 300 yards, yet each of them presents sort of a, a puzzle to be solved. Probably the classic is Presswick, which, which is a very tight fair, fairway bordered on the right by a railway. And uh, you, as in all these holes, you could tee off with anything from a driver to a five iron, but no matter what you choose, there's no guarantee you're gonna hit the fairway and your next shot is gonna leave you with an even more fiddly shot to the green. So it, it's, it all serves to sort of uh, roil, roil your stomach as you tee off. So. By the way, you didn't add to the nerve wracking and fiddly ones. You wanna do them all at once? Well, I was gonna cut in, but I didn't wanna roll, so I didn't wanna disturb. Well, what's your nerve wracking one? My nerve wracking one uh, is the first hole at Tobacco Road, where it doesn't really, you, there's no reason for you to be nerve wracked other than not really being able to see where your ball is going to land and just assuming that they, there's these two mounds that you have to hit right down the chute. You can realistically, there's a lot of room to go over there, but you have no idea, especially never right. having seen that. Course. An act of faith. Yeah, that's yeah. never fun. Yeah, exactly. And I must have glanced over it. You actually had Marion in the nerve-wracking category. Oh, I did. I bet that. Yeah, I left that out. Yeah. Well, Marion, of course, the problem is you're standing within arm's length of somebody having a hot dog on the patio. What? And, you know, talk about having someone look over your shoulder. You could have a dozen people looking over your shoulder there. And so and that's for that reason, I must have overlooked it there, too, because I had put that under Fidley. Because it, it's, I, I went back and looked and it, it measured at just 350 yards when the U.S. Open was there in 2013. And yeah, someone could poke you on the shoulder right before you're about to swing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you weren't careful. No so fun. I think that could probably go in, in either either one of those. Right, categories. good. Yeah. All right. Uh, category three is uh, what I call just plain tough. And there is a group there that yeah, won't surprise most of it won't surprise people. Beth Page Black was on there. Um, Black Wolf Run, uh, Catanset in Massachusetts, uh, Muirfield, Scotland, Oakmont, uh, Roebrookdale, England, Pine Valley, uh, Wanamoiset in Rhode Island, Wingfoot, of course, and the odd one is Tuxedo in New York, which is uh, a very old and, and wonderful golf course. Uh, the reason it's in there, I, I used to be a member there. I was a member for about three three years back in my 20s. And um, the first hole there is uh, an uphill right to left uh, dogleg par four to uh, a long, narrow, heavily bunkered, mounded green. And in, in the three years I was a member there, I never parred it once. <laughs> Seriously. I, I must have played it, I don't know, 50 times at least. And I never parted it once. So that for me is a tough opener, just plain tough. Yeah. How about you? This one was hard for me because I, as I started to think, and they were all kind of difficult because I think it was a good point you made that a lot of these holes are not, the way of thinking was not to really create such a, a challenging start to a round of golf. So it's, in a way, it's a little rare out there. Um, I thought the first hole at Pinehurst number four was tough uh, post 
upskill Hans renovation. And it could have been just me. I don't think it's that lengthy of a hold. You kind of have a, a chance of running through the fairway if you hit too far on the drive. And then if you're like me and, and send your shot wayward of the green, I was, I hit, I think I hit mine right of the green. There's a bunker green side, right. And I was on the opposite side of that bunker. So I'm trying to deftly touch a pitch back up to one of those greens. And I mean, I hmm. was playing bumper ball back and forth and yeah. doubled the first hole. And that set the tone for a pretty mediocre day of golf for me. Yeah. Well, so to sort of end it, I had a category of actually good <laughs> first holes, first holes I really like. And uh, that included, uh, interestingly, uh, two in uh, Iceland, uh, I played, which I won't even name because no one would recognize the name. Then there's uh, Creole Balcomi in Scotland, along with Castle Stewart in Scotland, Castle da Downs in Michigan, Desert Highlands, Arizona, Dumbarney, a new course in Scotland I've played recently, I like very much. Uh, it's a course called Hokalia in Hawaii. Uh, Kawana, which is known as the Pebble Beach of Japan. Uh, Riviera, California, the Sagamore in New York. Uh, Shinnecock Hill, Spyglass Hill. And that's, that's it. And what a lot of those uh, have in common is I talked about uh, having that clubhouse on a, the highest point of the property. Uh, well, when you have that, good things can happen. Uh, and when, I'm sorry, having the first hole near the clubhouse. When the clubhouse is on the highest point of the property, then good things can happen. Mm -hmm. And especially if the golf course is near the sea. So I think anybody who's stood on the uh, first tee of those holes I talked about uh, we'll never forget the experience. Yeah, I I put Kapalua on there, and for the same reasons. And right. it's not even the highest point of the property because um, you almost come back down on eighteen once you get there. But yeah, I almost put Kapalua in there too, but I, I'd rather put the eighteen with Kapalua in there. Great finishing. Good point. So yeah, that was a very uh, an interesting way to look at the first tee and, and think about um, which ones are really unique and stand out. A lot of them kind of just blend in and are mundane, but yeah, that was an interesting column to read. Your feature piece in this issue uh, is something that the listeners and readers will have a lot of fun with, and it is a 50-question quiz dubbed the ultimate unpassable golf quiz right and i assume this took you a very long time well you know it's funny i i got this inspiration to do this it it seemed like a good thing to do in the winter months when people are kind of cooped up a little bit more and have some time and uh, uh, kind of the day i had the inspiration i came up with 20 20 questions pretty quickly and then I left it alone for a few weeks and came back and did it in dribs and drabs. And uh, yeah, it, I hope it's, it's not too gimmicky. I had fun with it. And uh, I don't think there's a person alive who can get all of the answers right. Uh, there are 50 questions to say. And if you can get 40 of them, you really know your stuff. Uh, so it, it, we said, don't even think about acing this test. Uh, look at it as you might a golf score, start with a hundred 
And for every one you get right, take a point off. So if you can get half the questions right, you'll score 75, which is a very nice golf score. And you got to get, you know, to 41 right to shoot a 59. So, um, but I had fun with it. There, it, we, we, we did uh, sort of off, off the wall questions like uh, rank the uh, major championship trophies from lightest to heaviest. Yep. Now, some people get, get two or three of them known, but you got to, take a lucky guess to get them all right and then there was another one which which is tallest uh, the which is highest is it the uh, women's olympic high jump record is it uh, a, a regulation golf flagstick or is it shaquille o'neal and i think there was a fourth choice in there that i can't remember but um the point was to have some fun with it uh, uh, we ask uh, name uh, match the uh four Hall of Fame uh, members with their middle names, that type of thing. But there, there are a lot of straightforward questions too. So I hope people have fun with it. Yeah, I think I, we were talking before we started recording, I would probably 10 was like a good over under bet for me after looking at it. You know, I feel like I could be right there, but um, <laughs> You know, I had the unfair advantage of being able to look at the answers too. So um, it's a combination, multiple choice, short answer, matching. It's really fun. And yeah, I encourage everyone to, to go look in the middle of our issue somewhere, wherever it is, uh, and see what you can do. And remember to count down from 100 instead of <laughs> starting at zero. So you can end up with a, a golfy uh, score at the end of it. Something respectable, yeah. Yeah, hopefully you break 100 because that would be kind of embarrassing. If <laughs> and now let's talk about the new the pieces and links that we've added this year. We try to mix it up a little bit. A lot of the stuff you'll see year to year, uh, we've continued on and it has been pretty popular. And we hope the same for a few things that we've added this year. Um, I'll start with uh, a piece called Paragon. Can you kind of give us the gist of, of what Paragon series is about? Yeah, Paragon, uh, as its name implies, will be a series of uh, course profiles, actually tributes to uh, individual courses, each of which we deem to be the ultimate expression of some attribute that is central to either golf course architecture or the joy and challenge of the game, uh, so, which is the the world's sternest test of driving, which one has the most artful bunkering. We'll pick a different sort of uh, category each issue and then tell you which one we think is the ultimate and also offer uh, a few uh, runners up. And uh, we started, well, first of all, we chose, I th think the best author we could for this, uh, Joe Passov was, uh, used to be editor of Lynx Magazine. And after that, he went on to a stint with uh, Golf Magazine as their travel editor. I think he's known as Traveling Joe. He also ran their uh, Top 100 Courses program. This is a guy who has played uh, over 1,500 golf courses in 30-some countries around the world. So there are a few people who have a greater breadth of uh, experience with golf courses than he. 
And so I, I think we have the right man for the job here. Uh, his first uh, <clears throat> topic or category is uh, Paragon is going to be sort of an offbeat, different one we wanted to start with. And that is, which is the game's ultimate test of patience? And that's a, it's an interesting one. And I think we challenged him with it. And uh, he came back with, I think, a very, very uh, worthy uh, winner, Pinehurst number two. Uh, as he says, at first glance, it, it looks pretty innocuous. The topography is tame. The fairways are wide. They're, they're basically flat. There are no uh, soaring peaks or plunging valleys. And, and almost no force carries, no water, except a, a little some funny little pond near the 16th tee. So, you know, how could this possibly be uh, the ultimate in uh, driving you crazy? <laughs> uh, well, well the, the, the point is it's the greens. Uh, you can say, yeah, I, I, after the uh, core Crenshaw redesign, the driving became a little tougher with the vast areas of waste, but it's the Donald Ross greens, the green complexes where <clears throat> you can, if you miss, first of all, there, a lot of them are inverted saucers. So if you miss it by a little, you're going to miss it by a lot. And it will leave you in a place where you'll stand over the shot and say, what am I going to do here? Do I use a wedge? Do I use a putter? Do I use something in between? Uh, as uh, Joe pointed out in his article, when Payne uh, Stewart won the U.S. Open at number two, um, during the practice rounds, he uh, he practiced playing shots around the green with everything from a, a, th a three iron to a sand wedge. So um, the point is that no golf course perhaps has the capacity to make fools of us quite as effectively as uh, as does Pinehurst number two. So I think th this is the beginning of a good series and Joe's done a great job on it. He he mentioned, I think his runners up, Royal County Down was one where you have a lot of blind shots and uh, sort of vexingly bunkered uh, holes. And of course, uh, another one is uh, TPC Sawgrass. Uh, I think a lot of our readers have probably uh, played that and been uh, driven crazy by the, the small target. It's the ultimate uh, target golf course, full of nasty bunkers and God knows plenty of water as well. And the one I didn't know, and uh, he worked in is Memorial Park, uh, which was the site of the Houston Open uh, last year. And he points out that uh, three over par made the cut and only uh, 10 pl players shot better than six under par. And those are PGA Tour players. So, you know, as, as Jason Day said, I think he quoted him as saying, it's one of those courses where you can walk off shaking your head, even though you played some good golf. So that's pretty much the idea of a, a course that tests your patience. I think the, uh, what you're talking about, you know, Pinehurst is kind of tame, pretty flat and generous fairways I feel like that kind of plays into the frustration factor that you have when you've hit plenty of fairways and and maybe hit a decent amount of greens and and still feel like you're pulling your hair out every single hole yeah well I, it's I, one of my not favorite golf courses always has been uh, because I th think the greens when Donald Ross designed them them and they were putting at six or seven on the step meter uh, were great. But now in this era of 10, 12 plus, it, it, 
can really be difficult, not just hitting the greens, but chipping to them and putting them. Now, in defense of Pinehurst, I would say it's probably the best example of what I like in a golf course, namely that the demands on your game increase the closer you get to the hole. I really think that good golf courses allow you some Lebensraum off the tee to hit, spray it a bit. And that, that the demand on the second shot, while greater than the first, is should not be as great as the demand on the third. It's just that the demand on the third and fourth and fifth and sixth shots at Piner's number two is pretty stiff. Yeah. You know um, what the next uh, ultimate test of is going to be in the next issue? Yeah, say. we're going to go back to uh, something a little bit more straightforward, uh, namely, uh, which course has the fiercest greens? But I'm not going to tell you what Joe is, has uh, chosen on that one. Everybody will just have to wait for the wait for the issue. Be patient. All right, get the mind uh, working. See if see if you, someone can guess what's going to be in that next next issue. Um, exactly. Yeah, the next uh, next series we have added this year is called home game. I think it's pretty apropos of the times um, where we're talking about uh, big cities and, and drivable courses. Right. We're going to break, yeah, break that is, down a little bit. This is kind of our way of recognizing the new challenges of the COVID, we host post-COVID era, uh, while at the same time giving uh, traveling golfers kind of a compact guide to navigating the best golf courses in and around the nation's major cities. These will be uh, one pagers, very quick, very graphic and to the point. And we'll have a map being the focal point showing a driving route, uh, sort of a great circle route, uh, being getting in a central point in a major city and coursing through the various uh, stops. Uh, and a sidebar, we'll summarize it very succinctly, number of courses, number of miles, and number of dollars you'll spend on this uh, four to six day trip with, I would say, probably six to eight golf courses. And uh, we will be uh, calling on uh, sort of the experts, in, the local experts in each of these areas. And I think we started with one of the best in Jeff Shackelford who takes us on a tour of his uh, home, LA, starting at LAX. And as I say, going through this clockwise route and returning to, to LA. So I think we'll uh, have some fun with it and in the, hopefully in the process, give the readers some good succinct information. And these are all courses that anyone can play, right? Um, and, right. And, and yeah, we're not going to uh, Riviera and Bel Air and uh, LA North. It's going to be all public and, and uh, resort courses. Very good. And the last piece uh, we've added is at the very back of the issue, and it's called Photo Finish. The one I, in, in winter is, I'd never seen that photo before. Um, but well, I have to t tell you, the one we used is not the one we intended. The idea of this, yes, is like one photo on the final page of the issue. We, we're going to call it parting shot or photo finish and photo finish one out in a photo finish. Uh, uh, we, what we were going to uh, do originally for this first one 
was Alan Shepard's famous moonshot with a six on from the uh, surface of the moon. And we figured that was, that'd be kind of cool, sort of a different thing to do because the intent of these uh, will be uh, not to show your normal uh, Lynx magazine beauty shot of a golf hole or even someone, uh, you know, a pro hitting a shot. And we figured, well, this would be a good one. Um, lo and behold, there are no really good shots of Alan Shepard hitting that shot. Uh, there were no paparazzi on the moon, moon at the time. And I guess the uh, photo uh, capabilities uh, back in 1960, whatever that was, were not the greatest. So uh, we didn't feel we could uh, run that uh, picture. So we had to kind of adjust a little bit and we have another one that's timely to the extent to the, uh, it, the old Bob Hope tournament was just played uh, last week. It's, it's a photograph of Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas, as you've never seen them before, before uh, namely dancing cheek to cheek with Jack actually wearing a blonde curly wig. And uh, it's, as I think, it, it's sort of a jarring photograph and a fun one. And uh, we explain the story behind it. And uh, we, hope, we think this sort of kicks that one off with, in the right uh, spirit as well. So we're yeah. gonna have some fun with the page. Yeah, I think it's uh, it'd be funny if we showed it without any context, right? And just like ended the issue like, all right, Jack and Arnie, one of them's wearing a blonde wig. We're not going to explain why. <laughs> but we do, we do explain um, the background of the image. But I, that was funny in my mind if we had just kind of thrown that out there to people. Just yeah, like, you figure it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll explain this one ourselves. You figure it out. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of other great content in this issue. Um, George actually did a podcast with David DeSmith. He did a, a piece on high-tech golf in this issue, and we talked about that. We covered Idaho and, and the golf options in that state that a lot of people probably know Coeur d'Alene, but outside of that, maybe not familiar with, with that state. Um, and there's a lot of, of great golf there. And I wrote a couple pieces. I wrote about Mid Pines. I wrote about uh, the new PGA Frisco East course. And there's some really intriguing courses that are also in development. Ballyshear in Thailand. There's a Apes Hill, a, a course in Barbados from Ron Kirby, who did Old Head. Uh, there's a lot of very intriguing courses on the horizon. Um, are after a couple of years of being pretty quiet it's right ramping up again it's good to see definitely definitely and uh oh and i forgot that uh nick edmund did a piece in this issue as well on yeah the, the kind of the the forgotten part of the british isles the british midlands have you played uh many of those courses there a couple of them, but not many. And, uh, you know, it sort of make me wistful to get back over there, try to see a couple of these golf courses. They, as he describes them, they're pretty cool. Yeah. I know. I remember we did a piece on um, Knott's Golf Club, Hollandwell, and, and that being like Nottingham Forest, like the Sheriff of Nottingham's right. stomping grounds. And thought that was that his own course, yeah. Yeah, funny connection. Um, but uh, check out the issue. Uh, if you're a print subscriber, we hope you enjoy it. Um, if you've enjoyed the conversation, maybe this will entice you to subscribe and you can subscribe to Lynx Magazine on our website, lynxmagazine.com. 
George Pepper, it's always a pleasure to have you. And I hope we don't uh, go too long again before I talk to you again soon. Okay. See you soon now. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay.